In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The clearest and most obvious statement of the Holy Trinity given in Scripture occurs in today's Gospel reading, and it comes from the lips of Jesus himself when he says, All authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Certainly, the doctrine of the Holy Trinity is confessed consistently throughout the Bible, evenly, even from the very beginning. We heard it in Genesis 1 today, where the Father, God created the heavens and the earth, the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters, and the Word spoke. But while we rightly understand that God, even from the very beginning, reveals himself to be Trinity, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is most clearly and succinctly articulated by Christ at a particular point in time, specifically on the mountain in Galilee after his resurrection to the 11 remaining disciples. But why then? Why not sooner? Christ had been with his disciples for three years teaching them. Why did he wait till the bitter end, right before his ascension into heaven, to give them the name of the Most Holy Trinity, which reveals to us a doctrine which we confess to be a chief tenet of the Christian faith. Jesus waits for this point to reveal the name of the Holy Trinity because it was at that point, on that mountain, that Christ instituted the sacrament of holy baptism. He institutes the sacrament of holy baptism at that point, after his death and his resurrection, because that sacrament depends on the death and resurrection of Christ to do what it does. And the Lord Jesus gives the triune name to the 11 in the institution of baptism because the holy triune name of God is essential for the disciples' work of baptizing the nations. Without the name of God, they would not be able to baptize. And Christ gives the holy name in baptism because baptism is where the Holy Trinity makes himself known to us, and baptism is where we are known to him. So it's clear that the triune name of God is immensely important to baptism, And it's not merely because the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are words that make for a valid baptism, as though it were a magic formula. Those words do make for a valid baptism, but those words are not arbitrary. Christ does not select words for his sacraments in an arbitrary way. The name of God, which Christ gives for holy baptism, is important for baptism because God's name, united with water, makes baptism precisely what it is. 
God's name makes baptism what it is because God's name reveals to us how God exists in himself. And that's important. God's triune name reveals to us how God exists in himself. He is the Father who is neither made nor created nor begotten. He is the Son who is begotten from the Father from all eternity. And he is the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. The triune God is in perfect unity, and yet he is three distinct persons, distinct so as not to be confused, but not as though separated. The Trinitarian name of God reveals to us how he is, and therefore it reveals to us divine life. It shows us God's life as he has it in himself. And it shows us that the life of God, Trinity and uni in unity, God's life is a life of perfectly united relationship. The three persons in the Holy Trinity are unique even as they are one. The Father is not the Son or the Holy Spirit. He is not made, nor created, nor begotten, nor does he proceed. The Son is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. He is neither made, nor created, nor does he proceed, but he is begotten. The Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son. He is neither made, nor created, nor is he begotten, but he does proceed from the Father and the Son. And these three are one. And therefore the persons of the Holy Spirit relate to one another in perfect unity. And we heard that this morning in the Old Testament from Genesis. The Lord in Genesis 1 has a conversation with himself and he says, let us make man in our image. Because of the three persons, there is a plurality in the one God, so that he says words like us and our. And because of this, the Lord does not make a single man and leave him alone, for that would not reflect the divine Trinitarian sort of life that God wishes to bestow on us nor would it reflect the image of God. In contrast, man on his own is not good. So God makes for the man the woman, that the man would have someone to converse with and with whom he would procreate children, more bearers of God's image, more people to converse with. But interpersonal human relationships and conversation, reflective of the image of God as they are, even before the fall, are a reflection. And they point to something greater, 
the greater conversation that man was created for, that we were created for. For we were created for conversation with God himself. Your loving conversations with your spouse, for those of you who are married, are good and meaningful. They are real, and they do reflect the image of God in which you are created. But they do not demonstrate the totality of divine life, especially for us since we live after the fall and our conversations take place between two sinners in a sinful world. What God truly desires for us is to bring us into the life that he has in himself to make us partakers of his divine life, his Trinitarian life, and to bring us into conversation and unity with him. This is the purpose for which he created Adam and Eve in the garden. He wanted someone with which to share his divine life. And this is why he walks with them in the garden, why he has conversation with them in the cool of the day. But when sin, sin entered into humanity through their rebellion against God, they were cut off from that divine life and conversation because they died. And so we too, we are flesh of their flesh, we are bone of their bone, and therefore we have sin of their sin and death of their death. And we are therefore by nature separated from God and from his divine life. Of ourselves we have no access to God in order to speak to him. Nevertheless, in his mercy, God deigns to restore us to his divine life, to restore us to unity with him, access to him, conversation with him. And so he gave our first parents the promise of the seed of the woman who would destroy death and the devil and would restore us to God. And it is that seed, Christ Jesus, who stands upon the mountain in Galilee and describes for the disciples our new birth from above, birth from the dead, birth through the waters of holy baptism. The forgiveness of sins in baptism is a great gift and we are right to emphasize it. But that is not the only thing that baptism does. Baptism actually forgives our sins to a further end. Baptism forgives our sins in order to make us clean and to create us anew, that we might be united with the holiness of God's life and live. And that is exactly what baptism does. Baptism removes our sins so that when in the very same moment it unites us to God, his holiness does not destroy us, but instead gives us life from the dead. Baptism drowns our sinful flesh so that we might be raised to life, true life. That is the life which is defined by the triune life of God. 
So in order to accomplish this, God has set apart water. He has combined it with his word, but not just any word. He has combined that water with his triune name, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this baptism, God's name united with water, is where God desires to be known by us, and it is where he makes himself known to us. He raises us up from the dead. He gives us the new life that was won for us by Christ's death and resurrection. And in this new life, we have access to God in order to speak to him, to converse with him. He speaks to us in his word, and we hear that word in the faith of our baptism. And we respond, we speak back to God, we pray. We speak directly to him, a right which we have through holy baptism. Because we are baptized, we have the rights of children. And so we pray to our Heavenly Father through the mediation of the Son in the faith and trust given to us by the Holy Spirit. So it is no wonder that Christ reveals to his disciples and to us the triune name of God in the moment when he instituted holy baptism. Christ reveals the Trinity in the very place where we have our most reliable, our most trustworthy, and our most ongoing access to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For we have access to the Holy Trinity, to his life, through the triune name that was given to us in baptism. Blessed be the Holy Trinity and the undivided unity. Let us give praise and glory to him, for he has shown his mercy to us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.